Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Cowden coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, one of the big health care sharing ministries is suing the state of New Mexico, and we'll have some details. Plus, popular pastor Alistair Begg, whose radio program was dropped by American Family Radio last week, is standing by his advice about attending an LGBTQ wedding. We'll explain. And the deadline for churches to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church has passed, and the results are in. We'll look at how many congregations actually left. We begin today with news that a Texas dad has sued the Assemblies of God denomination, its North Texas district, and his college ministry, Chi Alpha, for negligence that resulted in sexual abuse and grooming of his son. Stephen Holt sued in a state district court in Harris County, Texas, that's the Houston area, claiming that the Assemblies of God was negligent in allowing registered sex offender Daniel Savala to have access to children and for failing to warn parents about his background and the dangers that he posed. Savala, who was convicted of sexual abuse in Alaska in 2012, is currently in jail in McClellan County, Texas, under indictment for trafficking of persons and indecency with a child. According to the court documents, the Assemblies of God entities were made aware of Savala's history of sexual abuse, yet they didn't prevent his involvement with the Chi Alpha chapters and leaders. Eli Stewart, who was part of the youth group in Alaska when Savala abused children there, moved to College Station to relaunch the Chi Alpha chapter at Texas A&M University and Mountain Valley Fellowship Church in 2017. And while leading that church, Stewart is accused of allowing Savala and several other Chi Alpha members access to children. The lawsuit includes details of deviant sexual behavior and grooming that was carried out by Savala and other members of Chi Alpha. Is Stewart still pastoring that church? No, Stewart was removed as a pastor of Mountain Valley Fellowship in the spring of 2023 after these allegations came to light. The lawsuit does name the church, though, as a defendant for its role uh, in allowing the accused abusers to have access to children and for failing to put proper procedures and policies in place to protect those children. Well, our next story also involves a lawsuit. Samaritan Ministries International, which is one of the nation's oldest and biggest Christian healthcare ministries, has sued the state of New Mexico, claiming that its efforts to punish bad actors is a hostile and long-standing campaign that violates citizens' constitutional rights and promotes religious discrimination. Well, those are bold accusations. What has the state been doing? Well, so far, the state has done nothing to limit Samaritans' work, but the nonprofit says that its members there now find themselves squarely in the state's crosshair. Samaritan Ministries is pursuing a pre-enforcement challenge to present any future legal actions by the state. According to a statement that they released, the New Mexico Office of Superintendent of Insurance has sought to shut down other healthcare ministries in New Mexico, threatening the constitutional rights of Samaritans members. So far, though, they've declined to answer any further questions that Ministry Watch has posed to them about the case. 
I know religious groups have used various forms of burden sharing for centuries, and currently in America, there's more than 100 groups offering cost sharing, but the industry is unregulated and operates outside established insurance guidelines, which makes room for scammers to take advantage. So give us more insight into what's going on in New Mexico. Are they shutting down truly legitimate organizations? Well, Samaritan claims that New Mexico's Office of the Superintendent of Insurance has evicted four healthcare sharing ministries and is circling around a fifth right now. The Samaritan Ministries argues that New Mexico is, and this is a quote from uh, their statements, harming the harmless in violation of their rights to religious freedom, religious autonomy, free expression, and the association and equal protection. But Ministry Watch and other organ, other news outlets have reported that shows that these five groups in New Mexico uh, had, that it sought to punish were, in fact, uh, the industry's bad actors. Can you give us some examples? Well, in 2019, for example, New Mexico sought to punish Aliera Healthcare, which operated as Trinity Healthcare and was founded by Shelley Steele, a man previously convicted of federal securities fraud and perjury. We've reported on this here at Ministry Watch. Aliera generated more than or almost $544 million in healthcare payments from members, but paid only about $189 million or barely a quarter for members' claims. Uh, Steele steered about $100 million to himself and other businesses. The company declared bankruptcy last August, that according to the Department of Labor. Another example is Liberty Health Share Gospel Light Mennonite Church Medical Aid Plan, which has a lengthy history of fraud and faced lawsuits in Florida and Ohio uh, over non-payment of member claims and deceptive practices. And by the way, Natasha, before we move on, I just wanted to mention that I have been a part of Samaritan uh, Ministries of Healthcare Sharing in the past. I'm not currently, I'm on a more traditional healthcare plan right now, but I, I found it to be excellent. And uh, I you know, just wanted to share that by way of full disclosure, number one, and Number two, just to reiterate the point that there are both good actors and bad actors in this space. And I think what Samaritan Ministries is attempting to do is make sure that just because there are bad actors, that the good actors don't get punished. Well, continuing the theme of lawsuits, our next one has to do with a pastor from Louisiana. Two years ago, a group of former members of First Baptist Church of Bossier, Louisiana, sued the church and its leaders, including Pastor Brad Jerkovich, claiming those leaders illegally changed the Constitution's bylaws and Articles of Incorporation and misused mission money. Now, Jerkowitz is perhaps best known as the spokesman for the Conservative Baptist Network, which claims that the Southern Baptist Convention has become too liberal. Church members have alleged, though, that money meant for missions was diverted to the Conservative Baptist Network, and a lower court ruled in 2022 that the church had to allow the former members access to financial records. So what's happening now? Well, the claims against Jerkovich and other church leaders remains active. A lower court hearing is set for mid-February to decide what the next steps are in these claims. And what will that hearing include? 
Justice Jefferson Hughes III said this, one may argue that the acts alleged were acts in furtherance of an unauthorized and perhaps fraudulent coup d'etat. Uh, Hughes was skeptical that an impromptu voice vote at the conclusion of a service where no votes were counted qualified as an official meeting of the church. He also questioned a requirement in the new church government documents that leaders had to be completely loyal to the church and their pastor. Has the church responded at all? Well, in an emailed statement, the church said that former members' uh, claims were unfounded and that it is seeking to have the claims against the church leaders dismissed. The First Baptist Church of Bossier unequivocally opposes the plaintiff's claim and strongly believes their actions are nothing more than an attempt to retaliate against and cause harm to the church. That was uh, from the church's statement. The statement went on to say this, it remains FBCB's steadfast contention a steadfast intent, rather, to continue our vigorous defense against all remaining claims with the ultimate goal of moving past the plaintiff's efforts to damage and divide our ministry. Warren, let's look at one more story before the break. What do you have? Well, an Ohio pastor was found guilty of criminal charges on January 22nd for his connection with uh, the attack on the U.S. Capitol three years ago. That, according to a press release uh, released by uh, the District of Columbia. William Dunphy, he's 58 years old. He's from Fraseyville, Ohio, and is the pastor of New Beginnings Ministry, Warsaw, in Warsaw, Ohio. He was found guilty of two felony charges of obstruction of an official proceeding or aiding and abetting a civil disorder. He was also of a misdemeanor charge for entering and remaining in, an un, in a restricted building or grounds. This, again, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, D.C. Well, that sounds very serious. What did he do? Well, Dunphy was seen shouting through a bullhorn to the mob saying this, the election has been stolen right out from underneath our noses and it's time for the American people to rise up, rise up, rise up. Today is the day that these elected officials realize that we are no longer playing games. And what's Dunphy's timeline? Well, he's scheduled to be sentenced in May following uh, his arrest uh, of uh, back in 2022. He joins more than 1,200 people in almost all 50 states who have been charged for seizing the Capitol to prevent uh, then-President-elect uh, Joe Biden from being inaugurated. Or let's take a short break here. When we return, radio preacher Alistair Begg is standing by advice he gave to a grandmother about attending her grandson's LGBTQ wedding. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hey everybody, Warren Smith here, interrupting the podcast just to let you know that we have a new donor premium for the month of February. Handling Allegations in a Ministry is a book written by my friend Teresa Sidebotham. Uh, it's a really helpful book if you are in leadership in either a ministry or a church, or maybe you want to give to somebody that you know in leadership. It's uh, uh, Teresa has been handling and investigating uh, as an independent investigator, 
uh, abuse and other kinds of issues within a church for many, many years. She's one of the nation's experts on this topic. I've had her on the Ministry Watch podcast uh, in the past, and uh, I just really think this book is a great resource, and we'd like to make it available to you. So for a gift of any size uh, during the month of February, we'll send you this book. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next is the story we promised before the break. It's the story of Alistair Begg, pastor of Parkside Church in Chagrin Falls, Ohio, and host of the Truth For Life radio program. Alistair Begg has been caught in what he calls a storm in a teacup over advice that he gave about attending an LGBTQ wedding. That advice, he said in a sermon this past weekend, was based on Jesus's command for Christians to love even those they disagree with or approve of. Warren, can you give us a little more background? Yeah, during a promotional interview for uh, his book uh, last fall in September, uh, Alistair Begg recounted talking to a woman whose grandchild was getting married to someone who was transgender. Begg, who opposes same-sex weddings, suggested that she should go to the wedding and not only that, bring a gift. By doing so, she would show her love for her grandchild, even though she did not approve of the wedding. But Begg's comments set off a firestorm among some of his fans and supporters. American Family Radio, for example, which is uh, an evangelical broadcasting network based in Mississippi. They own about 180 radio stations. They dropped Truth for Life, Begg's program, last week after his advice uh, resurfaced and went viral. It also led to a series of articles by other Christian leaders reinforcing that Begg should not attend LGBTQ weddings. And by the way, one of those was written by me in Ministry Watch. Uh, after and Carl Truman, though, who is a professor of biblical and religious studies at Grove City College, wrote this. After all, attendance so as to show love or avoid giving offense is a form of blessing, just without the name. How has Begg responded? Well, again, as I said, this past weekend, he responded to the controversy in a sermon that he preached to his church, but that sermon has been posted online and uh, it's been uh, viewed by me and many others. Uh, He said that uh, we can disagree over whether I gave that grandmother good advice or not. Not everybody on the pastoral team thinks I gave very good advice. All I was thinking about was how can I help this grandmother, Begg said, adding that he didn't want her to lose her grandchild. Uh, To a different person in different circumstances, Alistair Begg said, he might have given different advice. But he said he has no plan to repent no matter what happens on social media. Now, Warren, you wrote an article in your editor's notebook on Begg. Can you share some of your thoughts? Yeah, I I did, and uh, I said first of all that I, I I'm a big fan of Alistair Begg. I think he's an effective and trustworthy uh, pastor, author, speaker, and Bible teacher, and has been for decades. Millions of people, and I'm among them, uh, have uh, benefited from his work. But as I also said in my article, I think that in this case 
he made a mistake. And I went on to sort of unpack why I thought that. Uh, you can read my entire article explaining why, which I won't quite unpack here, but I do want to refer you to it. It's on the front page of the Ministry Watch website. Let's move to our next story. It has to do with how city zoning is impacting a ministry in Virginia. Yeah, that ministry is called Mechanics of Faith, and they've been performing low-cost auto repairs in the back parking lot of New Life Baptist Church in Henrico County, Virginia, uh, for about the last you know four or five years, since 2019. Now, though, because of a complaint lodged with the county, they've been forced to find a new location that up till now has been serving several dozen people every month. Do they know who filed the complaint? Well, they don't. Erica Allen is the service manager for Mechanics of Faith, and she told uh, Ministry Watch when we reached out to them that they have no idea. Um, They had never had any neighbors complain to them about their outdoor operations behind the church. She said that they were careful in keeping the area from becoming an eyesore, but some big jobs can take weeks, she admitted. The county's spokesperson is Eric Lebo, and he said that the operation of an auto repair business on the church grounds violates the residential zoning designation. How long has this ministry been in operation? Well, as I said, it started back in 2019 and can perform most auto repairs at about 80% below market price. A lot of those repairs are pretty basic, oil changes, brake jobs, but they do more complex uh, transmission repairs and engine exchanges from time to time, completed by two staff mechanics, plus a lot of volunteer mechanics who donate their time and skills to the ministry. Jason Wells, who is the founder of Mechanics of Faith, said that they have helped They helped over 186 people in 2023. Uh, The ministry is now trying to find a two or three bay shop in a commercially zoned area so that they can move. Now, by the way, um, Jason Wells, the founder that I just mentioned, said that as of yesterday, uh, Natasha, you and I, of course, were recording this on February 1st on Thursday, but as of the 31st, which was the day they were supposed to vacate, the county extended them a little bit of grace and is now working with them. And he said that we praise the Lord, but we are still actively looking for a space. Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hey everybody, Warren Smith here, interrupting the podcast just to let you know that we have a new donor premium for the month of February. Handling Allegations in a Ministry is a book written by my friend Teresa Sidebotham. Uh, It's a really helpful book if you are in leadership in either a ministry or a church, or maybe you want to give to somebody that you know in leadership. It's uh, uh, Teresa has been handling and investigating Uh, as an independent investigator, uh, abuse and other kinds of issues within a church for many, many years. She's one of the nation's experts on this topic. I've had her on the Ministry Watch podcast uh, in the past, and uh, I just really think this book is a great resource, and we'd like to make it available to you. So for a gift of any size uh, during the month of February, we'll send you this book. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page.
Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. We like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have first? Well, Americans dubbed the nuns, those who are atheists, agnostics, or not religiously affiliated with any faith, remain a large segment of the U.S. population, and what they believe could very well impact the country's future, according to a new study released this week. In 2007, nuns made up about 16% of the population, but this new study from the Pew Research Center of American Adults shows that that number has risen dramatically in recent years. Uh, The number reached 30% in 2022, uh, though it has dropped back a bit to about 28% this year. So what exactly do nuns believe? Well, Pew found that most nuns do, in fact, believe, by the way, when I say nun, I mean N-O-N-E, not N-U-N, Natasha. Uh, They believe in a higher power, uh, aside, though, from the God of the Bible. Few attend any kind of a religious service. About half said that spirituality is very important in their lives. Uh, Nuns are also not terribly hostile towards faith. 58% said religion does help society by giving people purpose and meaning. The survey found that most nuns say they were raised in a religion, usually Christianity. Now they're agnostic or don't really claim any particular belief. Now, another survey published this past October by the Associated Press and the Nork Center for Public Affairs Research uh, mirrored the Pew study, saying that about 30% of U.S. adults claim no religious affiliation. Now, what effect has this shift in faith caused, if any? Well, the survey found that religious nuns were less civically engaged and socially connected than people who do identify with the religion. They are also less likely to vote, less likely to have volunteered lately, less satisfied with their local communities, and less satisfied with their social lives. And how could this affect our culture as a whole? Well, Gregory Smith, who was the lead researcher for the Pew study, said that nuns, in fact, could and do affect American politics. Uh, We know that religious nuns are very distinctive. They are among the most strongly and consistently liberal and democratic constituencies in the United States. What's our next story? Well, a new study by the Lewis Center for Church Leadership at Wesley Theological Seminary found that United Methodists, the nation's second largest Protestant denomination, lost about a quarter of its total churches between 2019 and 2023. 71% of all disaffiliating churches came from the Southeast and South Central regions. But I do think it's important to note that the Southeast and South Central regions were also where there were the most United Methodist churches. What's happening with the churches who left the denomination? Well, a little more than half of them, about 7,600 of them, uh, chose to affiliate with uh, the new denomination called the Global Methodist Church. Uh, It was a group that was formed in 2022. It's a more theologically conservative uh, group than the United Methodist Church. 
the Global Methodist Church now has a almost 5,000, about 4,500 member congregations, of which 4,300 are in the United States. Uh, that, according to its transitional officer, many others have chose simply to become non-denominational. There was a five-year policy allowing churches to disaffiliate that expired in December with that wave of departures now over uh, the denomination, both denominations, both the new global group and the existing uh, legacy United Methodist Church are sort of figuring out what their next steps are. The study noted that Overall, the 25% disaffiliation rate is considerably higher than that experienced by other mainline denominations that have gone through similar issues, LGBTQ issues. For example, in the Episcopal Church, the Presbyterian Church USA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, less than 10% of churches left for more conservative denominations when a similar question was posed to them. Who's in our ministry spotlight this week? The IF Gathering, which is led by Jenny Allen. It began in 2014 as one event to inspire women to tell all of us about the Lord. It's grown to become something of a movement. Uh, It teaches and equips women with gospel-centered resources through events and local communities. Uh, They claim now to reach about a million women in 179 countries, much of that through digital outreach. Uh, They have, by the way, a high donor confidence score from ministry watch 94 out of 100 their financial efficiency is three out of five which is not that great but it's middle of the road and an a transparency grade which means that they are members of the evangelical council for financial accountability and they release both their audit and their form 990s i should say though that that uh, if gathering has engaged in some controversial practice we practices we've reported on those at ministry watch so if you're interested in finding out about some of those practices that you know you ought to probably think about before you give to the ministry, I recommend you go to ministrywatch.com and just simply type if gathering or Jenny Allen's name into the search engine. And who did Christina highlight in ministries making a difference? Heart of Lebanon is providing education to about 1,200 students who would otherwise not have access to school. Uh, it's the hope uh, education program, which stands for helping others, o- helping overcome poverty through education, covers standard academic subjects plus a biblical foundation. Also, they have a Hope on Wheels mobile outreach program that visits communities and hosts activities in biblical teaching. Uh, I've known about Heart of Lebanon for a long time. Uh, Tom Adama, uh, who is the president there, is an old friend of mine. That group has four stars out of five and an A transparency grade and a donor confidence score of 100, our top score. Also want to mention that last week, Church of the City in Nashville, Tennessee, gave away 10 cars to single mothers and young adults that were aging out of foster care. Uh, they've been doing this kind of outreach ministry for the several years, and since that time have donated more than 400 cars uh, that have been inspected and repaired and given to people in need. Warren, do you have any final thoughts before we go? Yeah, just a quick reminder that we've made some changes to both the website and the database uh, in the new year. I'm really excited about those changes. We'll be getting a lot of good feedback. In fact, uh, January just ended was our biggest January ever in terms of page views and one of our biggest months ever. So I'm uh, taking that to mean that you guys are enjoying those changes too. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, I do recommend that you go to our website and check it out. Also wanted to mention that next week I'll be in California the week after that. 
that in Colorado. Then I'm going to Tennessee and Texas, a Tennessee trip for the National Religious Broadcasters Conference at the end of February. So I'll be uh, on the road a little bit the next uh, few weeks. Uh, Natasha and I are going to continue to try to keep the podcast schedule on track, but I might be reporting from who knows where. Uh, I mentioned that, though, to say this. Keep an eye on your inbox for invitations. I'm doing some lunches out in California with uh, some donors and listeners and readers. I'm really excited about those, and I'll be scheduling one for Nashville and one for Colorado in the next week or two. And finally, I want to mention that because it is February now, we have a new donor premium Uh, a book called Handling Allegations in a Ministry. It's written by an attorney in Colorado Springs. Her name is Teresa Sidebotham. I've had her as a guest on the podcast before. And in fact, we've used this book as a donor premium uh, probably about a year, year and a half ago. It was really popular. And uh, we've decided to use it again because we know we've got a lot of new listeners and a lot of new readers uh, to the website. So any donation during the month of February, you'll get a free copy of Handling Allegations in a Ministry by Teresa Sidebotham. I really recommend this book and uh, hope you will financially support us during the month of February. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Kim Roberts, Steve Raby, Bob Smetania, Zach Rivas, Yonat Shimron, Clement Lisi, Rod Pitzer, Christina Darnell, and you, Warren. Special thanks to Religion Unplugged for contributing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.